Today we are closing out our FaithWorks series, and it's hard to believe that it has been 11 weeks already, 11 weeks since these really cool gears appeared on our stage, and 11 weeks since we've been going through the book of James, and, and over that time we have been looking at what it means to live out our faith, to really put our faith in action, and now we know that, that we are saved by faith through grace, not by works, but once we are saved, once we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then things change. Things change in our lives. Our actions change. The things that we do begin to change, and we start to live out our faith. And so we're going to talk about that one more time this morning, how we can live out our faith. And we're going to be talking about the area of prayer. And so one thing that I think is always good anytime we dive into God's word, anytime we're learning from scripture, is we really need to take an honest look at our own lives and how we're doing in that area that we are talking about. And so what I want to encourage all of us to do this morning is to just kind of take a step back in our lives and be honest with ourselves about how we're doing with this area of prayer. To kind of take that 30,000 foot view of our life and, and look at how we are doing in our prayer life. And to help us along with that, I want to put three questions out to you this morning. And these questions, the answers are for you, between you and God alone, because it's about your spiritual walk. It's about your prayer life. And these are three questions that I wrestled with myself as I was um, preparing this sermon this week. But the first question is this. How often do I pray? How often do I pray? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's once a week when you're at church. Maybe for others, it's after your devotion time in the morning after you've read God's word. Maybe for some, it's before meals. Maybe you're in a constant state of prayer throughout the day. And wherever you are in your prayer life, that's okay. We're not all going to be in the same point. We're all going to be in different places. But the important thing is that we're able to be honest with ourselves and we're able to look at what we need to do to take the next step to improve our prayer life. The second question I want to ask ourselves, how often do I pray for other people? How often do I pray for someone besides myself? And I know we probably have some prayer warriors in the room that you're probably carrying your prayer notebook that's pages full of names and circumstances that you've been praying for for weeks and months and years. And that's awesome. But not all of us are there. Not all of us are to that point. And so we need to be honest with ourselves about how much we actually pray for other people. And then the third thing I want us to, to ask ourselves is, do I have a balanced prayer life? And what I mean by that, a balanced prayer life is, do I spend all of my time asking God for things? If there's a, a prayer scale, do I spend all of my time asking God for things? Or do I also spend some time praising him and thanking him for what he's done also? Or maybe I'm really good at praising him and thanking him for, for what he's done because I feel like, why would the creator of the universe want to hear these little things that I'm dealing with in my life? But the important thing is that we have a balanced prayer life because that's what God wants. He wants to hear from us in all circumstances in our life. So hopefully you've been able to be honest with yourself about those three questions and really take a look at your prayer life. And just remember those things as we go through our message time this morning. But we're going to look at James chapter 5. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to James 5. We're going to be going through verses 13 through 16. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, starting in verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. 
And so right off the bat in verse 13, James has given us as believers two responses that we can have in different circumstances in our life. We can pray and we can praise. When we're suffering, when we're going through a difficult circumstance in our life, we can pray. When we're cheerful, when we're joyful, when we're going through good times in our life, we can praise, we can worship God, we can thank him for those things. And I, I wonder a lot of times as believers, as followers of Christ, followers of Christ, how good are we at doing both of those things, at praying and praising? How good are we are, are do, at doing both? Because that's really what God's looking for. He's looking for us to have a balanced prayer life. And you know, when I, when I look at that verse, it reminds me a lot of some of the Psalms in the Old Testament, specifically some Psalms that were written by David. They're called Psalms of Lament. And basically what these were, they were Psalms that expressed sorrow about a circumstance, uh, a difficult circumstance. It was asking God for help and for deliverance and then worshiping God for his faithfulness. And I think one of the best things that we can do in order to uh, look at what it means to truly have a balanced prayer life is to look at, a, at an example from David's life. So I want us to look at Psalm 69. Psalm 69, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. So it sounds like a pretty difficult circumstance that David is describing. He's describing some pretty serious things. He is obviously suffering a little bit, so much so that he is explaining it as almost taking over his senses. He feels the waters rising up to his neck, and it's about to overtake him, and so much so that he's about to lose his footing. He's about to lose his foothold. He's tired from crying out to God. He's been crying, and he's just exhausted because of it. He says his throat is parched. He feels like he's going to lose his voice because he's been crying out to God so much. He says his eyes have grown dim. He's growing tired from waiting on God. And I'm sure there's some in the room this morning that you felt that way before in your life. Maybe you're going through a circumstance like that right now where you feel like whatever you're going through, this storm that you're facing, is just too much to handle. It is just way too much to handle, and the waters have risen in your life, and you just feel like you're never going to make it through. You don't know if you're going to be able to push through this circumstance. I know I've faced those types of times in my life. I can think of a couple of them. About five or six years ago, uh, there was a time in uh, my life, and my wife Heather as well, where we were going through a few uh, difficult things. Uh, my grandmother was not doing well health-wise. I had a really good relationship with her, and, and we knew that she was coming to the end of her life. And she was going back and forth between her house and the hospital and the nursing home, and it was just really difficult watching this sweet old lady struggling so much physically. And so it was a really difficult time. On top of that, the church where I was serving at the time, uh, we were going through some difficult things ministry-wise, things that were causing a lot of stress. And our stress level was rising. Also, at the same time, we were trying to get pregnant with our second child, and we were facing some infertility issues, no more than what a lot of people go through. But when you pile all those things together, it just felt like this difficult time of life that I just didn't feel like I was going to be able to get through. The stress level had risen to the point of some anxiety, and it was just a really, really difficult time. And that's exactly what David is describing here in Psalm 69. But let's see what David's response was. 
verses 29 and 30. It says, I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. So he starts off by saying, I'm afflicted and in pain. So when we read that, it seems as though he hasn't yet come through the end of this difficult circumstance. He is still right in the middle of this difficult time. And he's saying, God, I'm going to trust your salvation, and I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to worship you through singing, and I'm going to magnify you and thank you for your blessings and for your faithfulness. And that's what God wants from us in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the difficult time. Yes, we are to go to him in prayer and to ask him for his salvation and deliverance, but also recognize him for his salvation. Now, David had reason in his life to both lament and to celebrate. He'd been through some really difficult circumstances, some really difficult times. Some of them brought on by himself from his own poor decisions, from mistakes that he made from his own sin, but also the fact that he was the king of Israel. And anytime you're in a position like that, people are going to come after you. You're going to face difficult circumstances. So he had a reason to lament in his life, but also he had seen God's faithfulness. He had seen how God had always been there for the Israelite people. Uh, David had seen God do amazing things in his life and provide for him in some pretty amazing ways. And so we need to learn from the example of David. Because I think for some of us, when we're going through a time of suffering, maybe we tend to be good at going to God in prayer when we're suffering. We tend to be good at, at asking him for deliverance and, and for salvation and to help see us through. And we trust in his faithfulness. Maybe for some of us, when we're in a difficult circumstance, maybe we, we pull back a little more and we rely on our own strength because that's just our own nat- natural personality, just to claw and dig ourselves out of whatever circumstance we're in. And then I think on the flip side of that, when we're going through a cheerful time, when we're going through a good time, I think there are those of us, it's really natural for us to praise God and to thank him. And when we're going through a good time, we can see God's blessings because things are going well and it's really easy to see. And so we naturally praise God for others of us. When we're going through those times in life that are really, really good, we don't think about it as much. We don't think about praising God because things are good and maybe we just don't feel like we need him as much. But the point is, James is saying, we need to have balance in our lives of both prayer and praise. Let's continue reading James 5, verse 14. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is an interesting verse uh, because it's a verse that's been debated by pastors and by Bible scholars for years. And the part that's been debated is what does James mean by using the word sick? Now, we absolutely believe that if you're going through a physical illness, if you're facing a health issue, calling on the elders to pray for you is a good thing. It's an appropriate thing. It's something that you should do. But the question is, is that what James is actually speaking of in this verse? Because in the English language, when we say sick, typically that means a physical illness. Someone is struggling with their health. But what we have to do is dig a little deeper into the word that James is using for sick and to find it out in the original language, in the Greek. And when we do that, what we see is that word was used for a couple of different reasons. Uh, 18 times in the New Testament, the word that James used for sick referred to people who were indeed struggling with physical illness, who had health concerns in their life. 
but also 14 times in the New Testament, that word was also used to describe people who were emotionally exhausted and spiritually exhausted. And so this word that James used for sick had been used two different ways in the New Testament. And so in order to, to really figure out what James was saying and which way he was using it, we have to dig even deeper. And what's really important is the context, the context of this scripture, who James was speaking to and his purpose for writing this letter. Now, we know he was speaking to Christians, not necessarily a specific church or a specific city like a lot of the letters in the New Testament, but he was speaking to Christians, most likely Christians who were suffering a little bit, maybe dealing with some persecution. But why was he writing? Well, for that, we have to go back to the beginning of the book, to James chapter 1. I want us to read verses 2 and 3. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the testing of your faith, James is talking about faith. It seems like from the beginning, those are the types of things that James is going to be addressing. Issues of faith and living out our faith. And as we've gone through these 11 weeks through the book of James, and as we've gone pretty much scripture by scripture, verse by verse, James has pretty much been addressing issues of our faith the entire time. So it seems a little weird that in this last passage, in his letter, that he would all of a sudden switch that and start talking about physical illness. And so maybe, maybe what James is talking about here are those who are suffering spiritually, those who are going through a dry season, those who, who are struggling. And so when you are struggling spiritually, when you feel weak spiritually, when you're going through a dry season spiritually, call on the elders. Call on the elders to pray for you because they are the ones that are meant to be spiritually strong and able to encourage you and comfort you and strengthen you. And also in this verse, it talks about anointing with oil. And that's another thing that's been discussed a little bit uh, from verse 14. And there's a few different ideas here. Uh, One of them is back in the Old Testament, there are some examples of ceremonies where people were anointed with oil and oil was used in those situations. Most likely that's not what James was referring to. Also back in those days, uh, oils and salves and different things would have been used um, when when people had been injured or, or when they had wounds. And we know that James, part of who he was talking to, were persecuted people, which can lead to some physical beatings and that sort of stuff. So maybe he was saying the elders uh, should rub these types of things on, on their wounds to help heal them and to help comfort them. But most likely, and the most likely one, is that this was a way that the elders publicly could show that they were lifting this person up in prayer, that they had come together as elders of the church to anoint this person, to lift them up in prayer, to encourage them and to comfort them and to strengthen them. And, you know, that's why we're doing our James 5 service today. That's why we're making our, our elders available for you uh, to, to pray for you, because that's why they're here, to strengthen and encourage the body of Christ. And so even now, we want to continue to encourage you that if you're going through something in your life, as we're going through this message, if you're facing a trial, if you're facing a difficult circumstance, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, take advantage of our elders being available this morning. You can go out to the lobby, and and, uh, people there would love to help point you in the right direction, just like we talked about earlier. And usually we wouldn't ask people to leave in the middle of our worship service, so today's a little bit different. Hopefully we don't have a mass exodus of people Uh, that leave all at once because I just gave you permission to. I guess that would let me know how I'm doing with this message. Um, 
But we really do want to encourage you uh, to go pray with our elders if that's something um, that would be helpful to you today. So let's get back to our passage. We're looking at verse 15 of James chapter 5. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There's that word sick again. But as we see later in the verse, James is talking about spiritual things. He's talking about sins, and he's talking about forgiveness. And so the way James has, has worded this verse, it reminds us of a couple of different stories from Jesus' life and the way Jesus worded a couple of things. And I want to look at one of those uh, from Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. This is a story from Jesus' life when he had an opportunity to heal someone that was dealing with a pretty major, major physical issue. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1, says, And getting into a boat, he, Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. So that seems a little bit like a, a weird thing for Jesus to say. Here this man obviously had a physical need. He was paralyzed. And so obviously the physical healing was a huge part of why he had come to Jesus. He wanted to be able to walk. He wanted to be able to live his life. But here Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I think the reason he did that is because he understood this man's needs. He understood that whatever this man was facing physically was only temporary compared to eternity. And so what he needed to have taken care of first was his spiritual life. He needed to be right with God. He needed to have his sins in check. He needed to be forgiven of his sins. And so Jesus understood that, that the spiritual was more important than the physical. Continuing in verse 3, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And so Jesus didn't ignore the man's physical issues. He didn't ignore the challenges that he was facing. He eventually healed him, but Jesus knew that spiritually he needed to be taken care of first. And the same is with us. We need to guard our spiritual lives. We need to make sure that we are right with God, that we are confessing our sins, that we are handling the sin in our life. And that's really what James is getting at in this passage. Let's continue reading verse 16 of James 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so that first word in that, in that verse, therefore, that's a turning point in this passage. It's kind of a transition point. Because up until this point in the passage, James was speaking to Christians who were suffering, who were going through difficult times in their spiritual lives. Now he's speaking to all Christians, whether things are good or whether things are bad. He's speaking to all Christians, and he's saying, if you want to avoid becoming weak in your spiritual life, if you want to avoid facing the things that some of your brothers and sisters in Christ are facing, here's what you need to do. You need to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And I think for some of us, that seems like a really weird thing to do. That seems a little bit awkward. 
I really don't want to go tell my sins to someone. I don't want to talk to someone about what I struggle with, the temptation that I'm facing. What if they look at me differently? What if they judge me? But here's the thing that we know about sin. Sin weakens us spiritually. And sin separates us from God. And so when we sin and we don't confess it, and then we sin again and we don't confess it and continue on down the line, we have all of these barriers between us and God until there's a point in our life where it's hard to see God at work in our lives because we have so much sin that we haven't taken care of. And now we know because of grace and because of what Jesus did on the cross that we as individuals, we can go to God and we can confess our sins to him and he's going to forgive us. But if we confess our sins to each other as well, There's accountability in that. There's encouragement in that. There's a sense of mutual concern for one another. And so that's what it's about. It's about being encouraging. It's about uh, loving and, and taking care of our brothers and sisters in Christ because there is great power and there is encouragement in that. The end of that verse um, says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so we know that when a couple people come together and they're confessing their sins and they're praying over each other and they're praying for each other, there's great power in that. And it's very encouraging and it gives us strength. And so I want us to look at a a couple other verses um, that have to deal with confessing our sins and forgiveness because I think it's important for us to understand. First one is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And this is one of my favorite verses about forgiveness says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I love that verse because it's a promise. The question is put on us, if we, if we confess our sins. But it says that he is faithful. That's a promise. That's something that we can hold on to. So when we're struggling with sin in our lives, when we're not in a good place spiritually, we can trust in God's forgiveness. Also, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so we can have confidence when we go to God in prayer. When we're in his will, and we know that asking for forgiveness of sins, that's definitely in his will. He wants us to live pure and holy lives, that we can have confidence that he is going to hear us and that he is going to listen to us. And so from this passage, we've learned that, that we need to have a balanced prayer life. We need to be praying for other people. We need to praise God in the good times. We need to go to him in the difficult times. That's us as individuals. But I think as a church, this passage of scripture has meaning for us as well. And there's a couple things that we can take away as a church as a whole. One of those things is that as a church, we need to be a church that worships. We need to be a church that praises God, that celebrates the good things. When God is moving, when, when our ministries are successful, when we see people come to know Christ, when we see people growing in their faith, we need to praise and worship God and celebrate for those things. But also we need to be a church that prays, not just a church that talks about prayer, but a church that actually prays, a church that Praise for our pastors and our leaders and our ministry leaders and those who are serving 
and all of our ministries and what we're doing here in this community, the people that don't know Christ yet. We need to be a church that prays for all of those things. And here in just a couple of weeks, on September 10th, it's a Sunday evening at 6.30, we're going to have the opportunity to do that as a body. We're going to have an opportunity to come together in this room and worship God and celebrate the great things that he is doing through our church. Because in this verse, it's saying that uh, in verse 16, when it said the prayer of a righteous person has great power, imagine if it's five or six or 700 people that have come together in unity to worship him. But also we're going to pray. And we're going to pray about our fall ministries. We have so many ministries kicking off in September, so many uh, programs, so many events. And the purpose for all those things are taking the gospel to the Erie community. And so we need to be lifting those things up in prayer. And can you imagine the power that those prayers will carry if we all come together to do that? And so we want to invite you out on September 10th, not just to have a big crowd, but because of the power that we know exists when we come together as God's people and we pray and we worship him. So we want to invite you out. We hope that you can be here on September 10th. But for some in the room today, I I know there are some some difficult circumstances happening in your life. Know that you are facing some difficult things and, and maybe there's some healing that needs to happen in your life. Maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical. And so I want to leave you with one last bit of encouragement uh, from Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10. It says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So whatever you are facing in life, whatever difficult circumstance, whatever trial, God is our stronghold. He's our stronghold in our time of trouble. And we can trust in him. We can trust in his name. We can put our trust in him. Because when we seek him, he doesn't forget about us. When we cry out to him, he hears us. So I want to encourage you in that today. Don't give up. Just like David He fought through so many difficult circumstances because he believed in God's faithfulness. And we can look back at our lives and see the times that that God has been faithful. We can look at the lives of, of those in the room today and see so many stories of God's faithfulness. Don't forget about that. And don't lose hope in the situation that you're going in. This this song that we're going to sing to to close out our service today is exactly what it talks about. God, we've seen you've been faithful in the past, and we know that you're going to be faithful again. Let's pray together.